Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Dr. Claude Swanson. His book, his latest book, Science of the Soul, The Afterlife and the Shift. We'll talk about that. In your opinion, Claude, what is the soul? What is it? <laughs> well, it, it's a big subject, obviously, but it's it's a structure that is made up of torsion primarily so that the physical body, the organs that we are familiar with, are made up of flesh and blood, atoms, etc. But torsion is an energy that exists in space and that can carry a form with it. And it, oh. it you know, has a pattern, it's like a holographic pattern for our body and for many aspects of our personality that uh, can keep its form even after the physical stuff uh, dies and decays away. Um, so the, the bottom line is it's torsion. That's Is it physical? Uh, it's it's semi-physical. It, and, and by that I mean uh, the, best, the best theory we have for torsion is that it exists in it's a, it's a twisting of space. It's like a, like a twisting pattern, almost like a pretzel uh, in space that is created that can maintain itself uh, over time. So it's a way of uh, carrying an echo of the structure of the body, even after the physical body is gone. Uh, I mean, there are ways to measure it physically, for example. So in that sense, it's physical, although it may not have any actual energy. But um, uh, Curlian photography um, has been developed and has been able to use to generate images of a torsion field. So there are ways of making measurements of it. So it's physical to that extent. Interesting. Now, we believe in the Creator, of course, but what a great idea to come up with it, right? And the Creator is pretty smart. <laughs> Left nothing unturned. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What about heaven and hell, Claude? In, in doing my research, um, I studied a lot of the information that comes from past life regressions, uh, from mediums, uh, you know, Doris Cannon, uh, all the all of the great investigators to kind of see what they learned about the nature of the afterlife, and a lot of the information is verifiable uh, to the extent well um, that if someone dies and rec- remembers uh, dying in some particular army unit in World War One, for example. Uh, it's oftentimes possible to check their information and track down who they were and mm-hmm. verify that that is it's it's actually something that's true. It's not just a fantasy. So uh, the afterlife information uh, is often valid as a way of getting information about what happened in the past. Uh, so anyway, there are lots of different sources like that, and so I've kept. I've, been trying to put together a map of what the afterlife looks like in terms of the various levels and dimensions. And what I find is that there are frequencies 
and there are levels, uh, and they correspond to levels of consciousness. Uh, in the same way that um, you know, when when we say someone is meditating at a higher level and achieving a higher level of consciousness, um, you can actually think about that as achieving a higher frequency and making contact with a higher plane of vibration uh, in the universe so that um, you can make a correspondence between the afterlife and ideas of consciousness that we're already familiar with. Um, Are you familiar with the case of James Leininger, the little boy who believed that he was a Navy uh, World War II pilot? Uh, not that particular one, no. Uh, I know the boy who knew too much, who had been Lou Gehrig in a past life, and there are a couple other remarkable ones like that, but I don't know Leininger. Yeah, this is an incredible story, uh, and uh, there's a book out on him. Yeah, but the, the point is that uh, we oftentimes can verify uh, the past life information so there's a reality uh, to it. Tell me, tell me about Leslie Flint, the uh, voice medium. Well, what I was going to say about Flint is that he was extraordinarily gifted uh, back in the, he would go to movie theaters, for example, uh, to, to watch the movie, and um, people would begin complaining around his seat because they assumed he was talking. Now, he wasn't saying a word, but there were other voices, other sounds that were emanating from his vicinity, from these other spirits. But he didn't. Were, he didn't hear them. Uh, he did not hear them. Uh, I mean, I think, I'm sure at some point he must have heard something, but he didn't think it was him. I mean, he never, at this point, he never heard of this phenomenon. He didn't know it was possible. And uh, so he, he kind of discovered that he had this ability the hard way, you know, from, from experience. But eventually he would uh, learn to go into trance and um, make these voices available to other people who wanted to make contact with relatives, um, and um, at the, at the when he he died, I guess in the in the in the fifties. Uh, at that point, there was a huge library of recordings of these sessions. People would come uh, to him uh, seeking to make contact with some uh, relative or whatever. And the sounds that came out and the information that came out spontaneously was of a quality that they knew right away who was making contact with them. Um, the, um, there were scientists, of course, who jumped on this right away, and they uh, wanted to make sure he wasn't faking it. He wasn't being a ventriloquist and didn't have a... Right. Uh, some conspirator making the voices for him. Or a little tape machine somewhere hidden away on, yeah. in a chair. They tied down his arms and legs to the to the chair. They filled his mouth with a colored liquid and then taped it shut. Oh, jeez. I'd choke to death if they did that to me. <laughs> they put a microphone on his throat and taped it there and recorded whatever sounds came out. They wanted to verify that he wasn't cheating. And he passed all the tests. The sessions were just as good. Um, so the, so the, the, there's a, a website, uh, Leslie Flint Foundation, 
uh, that has uh, hundreds of these recordings that uh, came from his sessions. And if you go there, uh, you'll be blown away by the quality of the contacts, how vivid they are, uh, how how real these people sound who are coming through him. Um, so anyway, it's it's a big story. There's that's just one of a number of different areas in this whole afterlife business where we have really solid evidence that something special happens. The spirits can make contact with us in the physical uh, after they've passed away. Um, so, and again, again, I, I, my theory is that it's the ectoplasm that is the medium that makes this possible. But, um, the recordings exist, and this has been well known from people who study this field. Uh, it's a, it's a just remarkable. It surely is. Now, what about the evil in in hell and the devil? Does that exist? Um, there are different levels in the afterlife, and it all goes back to vibration, and based on the vibration of your soul of your personality. Uh, that is what will attract you to the right level in the afterlife, and that has to do with your personality, how you lived your life, how you how you think, etc. So, if you have a really negative personality or or are occupied with a lot of negative thoughts, you'll be attracted more to the the lower levels, and in the lower levels are a lot of very troubled spirits, a lot of spirits that are angry and that are trying to cheat other people and be violent and things like that. So um, as, you, as you go into the afterlife material, uh, people have been led. Well, well, well for example, um, uh, the near-death experience people, we have thousands and thousands of people now who have died on the operating table or in other ways been revived, and when they come back, they have information about what life was like on the other side. Yeah, in some cases, they didn't want to come back. In some, in most cases, that's right. It's nicer over there. <laughs> it's blissful over there. But in a few cases, it's not. And um, it, it looks like it's about one-seventh, roughly, of the cases are kind of negative, and these are apparently people who, when they when they died, they went into that negative level, and they had more work to do there. But uh, you, the, the difference between the levels of the afterlife, uh, as research would tell us, and what the church might say, is that you're not stuck. You're not going to be in hell forever. Uh, it has to do with with what you do, who's praying for you, the thoughts and the activities. There are ways of moving up in the higher levels even after you have died. Um, but but those but there are different levels, and and clearly the the goal is to live your life in such a in such a way as to uh, qualify. And to resonate with the higher, more bliss, more blissful uh, levels. One of 
one of the things that becomes apparent, it reminds me a lot of uh, psychotherapy. Uh, There are basically seven fundamental levels in the astral dimension, which is the first level we're in when we we die. Uh, And these seven levels are graded uh, from lower to higher. Uh, The higher ones are very blissful. It's almost as if when you go into therapy and you're working on your problems, trying to get rid of your anger, getting rid of your your negative habits, as you succeed, then you'll qualify to get into a higher vibration next time. So it sort of seems like there's a whole hierarchy that's set up. And then once you have worked through those seven levels, and the next time you die, there's an even higher level that you can find yourself in. And the entire thing seems to work with resonance, that you resonate with frequency. Um, so there's an automatic uh, aspect to it. Scientifically speaking, Claude, what is, in your opinion, consciousness? Boy. <laughs> you thought it was going to be easy, didn't you? I just wrote a book about it. <laughs> I'll make a stab at it, George. Okay. The, I mean the way the way I look at it. I mean, I mean the universe is connected. That every event, everything that happens, um, sends out vibrations and signals that connect to other events and other processes elsewhere in the universe. Um, the picture that um, that I have in my book is it's sort of like a, like a cobweb or it's, a, it's an internet uh, where everything, all of space is connected and uh, it's really the consciousness which are these signals that carry information that make the universe conscious. Now, it might be the torsion, for example. These threads that carry the signal might be carrying torsion waves. That's that's where I would, you know, land right now if I had to make a guess. But I think we have a lot more to learn about it. Um, but what's so? Our brain, our our brains are part of this web. I mean, the way that the neurons are connected in our brain look very much like the interconnections of this web in the universe, and they talk to each other in much the same way. Um, it, it seems that when a yogi or a spiritual master wants to go into a deep meditative state, he quiets his mind, and he basically, he, he would say, he joins with the universe. He joins with God. I mean, the word yogi is, stands for yoke. It's a, it's a joining. And so in a sense, you're plugging your neural network, your brain, into this bigger neural network of the universe. And the more you can do that, the better you can do it, the more information you can tap into throughout the universe. 
Um, so I think that consciousness is something that's kind of built into the way the universe is constructed. And um, the more conscious we are, the more we can um, you know, plug into that huge database that's ready to um, interact with us. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.